All right, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Couchbase. Couchbase is an open source, NoSQL document and key value store database. It requires no external cache, supports SQL and analytic queries for JSON data, and Couchbase supports technologies like Kubernetes, Java, .NET, JavaScript, Go, and Python. Download it today at couchbase.com backslash stack overflow. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. A very special guest with us today, Rebecca Rombaum. Did I get that right? You did. Welcome, Thank Rebecca. Thank you very much. Um, so, you guys, there was a post that got to the top of Hacker News this week called The Teetering Tower of Abstraction. And one of the things that Paul told me as I was explaining my journey as a newbie coder was, look, Ben, you, you keep wanting to learn how things work at an elemental level and call yourself a real coder, but the truth is... The whole industry is designed to put you back in a sandbox, keep you safe, and pile abstraction on abstraction. So what are the pros and cons of this approach, I guess, industry-wide? It sounds like people have some concerns. I don't think it's, I mean, it's motivated by, look, let's, let's give an example, right? Like, one of the examples I like to use is that a programming language like JavaScript, which you, you run Node and that executes your JavaScript code, is a piece of software. People don't think of it in the same way they think of Microsoft Word or they think of downloading a YouTube video or whatever, but it's actually just more software running, except it interprets a file with a lot of squiggles in it um, and turns that into operations that the computer does. But we, we tend to sort of elevate the level of abstraction that we're working at and say, this is the real thing that's real that I'm doing that's <laughs> right. the real thing. Right. Um, yeah, and something you may not know and something you'll learn being a part of this industry is approximately every six years or so, someone writes a blog post about how this specific language is too abstracted. And kids today will not know this primary concept, right, because of this new abstraction. Okay, got it. So this is the perennial doomsayer will come around and say, like, kids today, they'll never know the basics. We're losing our grasp on the fundamentals. Can I be meta? Just a little meta. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, we're talking about abstraction, so of course I can Abstractions become territories that people viciously defend, mm -hmm. right? So, like, I the, for a while, Ruby was the only language for doing serious web programming, which was never true. And then now it's JavaScript is, is an enormous tower of things that people defend as if it was, like, their house. Yeah. And so then they're like, Ruby, it's garbage. <laughs> Throw it away. Right. And you know, you know what doesn't care about all of this? The computer. The yeah. computer's like, oh, hey, no, you know what? You, you gave me that, and I have to run it because I am a machine. And yeah. it's like, look, it works. And what happens is things work, and then other people go like, well, I wouldn't call that working. But wait, let's tell the people what Flatiron School is and what Flatiron is. We are a global school for technology education. We educate adults with new economy skills, data science, software engineering, UX, UI design, and help them get their first job in the sector. Uh, we've been doing that since 2012 when we started with software engineering, and we've branched into a bunch of different disciplines. And yes, Sarah used to work with us. We miss her dearly and are glad that she's here simultaneously. And f we should tell people, Flatiron is a, you know, you might have seen the Flatiron building. It looks like an iron. Right. It's a neighborhood in New York City that is the inspiration for the name for the school. Yeah. But you're not in the Flatiron. A techie startup, anymore, right? VC area. Also, 
I believe at the time it was built was an architectural feat, the Flatiron Building, oh, breaking the, new ground. It was like the tallest skyscraper tallest for, building. for like the hottest minute. And, yep, but for it's a only, moment. It's 20 floors, right? So right. it's just garbage. <laughs> it's built a while ago. We're um, on the 28th floor right now, so we can just... No, but actually, <laughs> it's the opposite, Paul, because if if you're just straight up and tall and, and not that interesting shape, then you easily get suppressed, but people still go and take pictures of the Flatiron Building because it's, it's true, such a unique shape. true. You just described me. I'm yeah. <laughs> tall and it's not an interesting shape. So I know you have to see this. So you've been around since 2012, and since that time, you know, in 2012, Ruby on Rails was the hottest language, and now that hottest language has switched to JavaScript, and I know that your curriculum has evolved over time. Rebecca... You have a front row seat to what employers are looking for. Have you seen that switch from, you know, Rails? It was really, really exciting. But do you have any JavaScript developers? Is that something you see now in your work? You know, we, we certainly evolve the curriculum over time based on what we see employers asking for, what's working in the market. But we still teach Ruby as your first several weeks. We've added a good bit of JavaScript. None of that negates the fact that no matter what you learn, as particularly as a new developer, employers will always be asking for what it is that they code in. And you got to demonstrate that you can do the job regardless of the language that you learned on. Mm. Um, so a very significant portion of our students don't primarily code in Ruby. The majority of them don't primarily code in Ruby when they leave Flatiron School and get their first job. And I would say almost all of them are using some tool or technology that they didn't learn at Flatiron School in that first job. Cool. I've been trying to think of like a good metaphor for what it's like to be a software developer where there's always a new language and an argument about a language and this language is dying. Is it like music where people are like, this is the hot genre. You don't know the fundamentals. This is where things are going. And every five years, it's like a totally different sound is the top sound, whereas, you know, the new language is this or that language. What's a good, like, what other yeah. industry do you have yeah, to... but if you don't know how to play, you know, like, the classical piano, then you're garbage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine if Vampire Weekend is worth a trillion dollars. That's the software industry. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I can't think of another area, or I've been racking my brain trying to think of another area where people are constantly saying... Management there's a, consulting. There's a whole new paradigm... Yeah, I no, guess. No, I mean, there's always a new, like, oh, you guys need to reorg along blah, blah, blah principles. Right. Oh, right. yeah. Oh, no. That, faster than, because programming actually takes a while, because you got to, like, retool everything if you switch But the, all those management things, those are all, that's all BS aphorisms where it's like one strategy versus another, whereas the programming language can be fundamentally you, very you different. Are, we are sitting in downtown Manhattan, like, <laughs> literally helicopters are about to blow up this building because you just said that. <laughs> It makes sense that you're still teaching Ruby in the beginning because, you know, I'll say Ruby is, because of the level of abstraction, that it makes Ruby so close to English, uh, it becomes an easier language to write. I won't say super easy, but it's much easier. It's got the syntactic sugar. The way that we say that is Ruby makes you fall in love with programming and then you're happy to deal with the semicolons elsewhere. No, that's really good. All right, so wait, first of all, like, what's your role? What do you do all day? I'm general manager of our online school, which means I oversee all of the programs um, that happen online. Flatiron School teaches courses online as well as on campuses throughout the U.S. and U.K. And so we have students learning in both ways, different formats, same content across, across the world. So around how many people are involved with this? Last year, we graduated just about 1,600 students. Gotcha. And, and then where do they go? Our grads 
go to all kinds of companies. We put out a report every year of what happens with graduates. So the majority of our graduates, the vast majority are looking for a job. And we help them along on that journey right after they finish school. What we find is in our most recent report, for example, they split pretty equally, about a third, a third, a third, between really small companies, under 50 people, SMBs around up to 500, and then larger enterprises of 500 or more. So depending on a lot of things, your background, where you're located, the kinds of skills that you learn, the sort of the reason you transition careers in the first place and where you want to be, you might end up at a startup doing environmental sustainability work. You might end up at J.P. Morgan. Mm-hmm. What do they do when they go to J.P. Morgan? Because like Ruby on Rails is not probably a big J, you know, J.P. Morgan function. So, but they're leaving the school going there or into banking. Like, what's the that job? Well, like? I mean, these days you could be at Goldman Sachs building their Marcus app or website, right? Like, I mean, they they are looking for people to do those front end things. Sure, of course. Yeah, it's both. Um, so, in a company in a large enterprise, students might be writing Java, mm-hmm. and that's a thing that they learn when they come in the door. We don't talk enough about Java on this show. <laughs> like, we're all, ah, cool, web technology. Blah, blah. It's, like, it's, it's just everywhere, and it runs the world. Anyway, yeah. so, so, okay, so, of course, they're going to go, like, learn some Java. Yeah, you need to be able to demonstrate that the main skill that you have, aside from understanding how to program, is how to learn new programming stuff really fast. What other skills do they need to learn? Like, do you guys work on interviewing practice? Like, what are the, what are the things besides programming that or that you wish engineers who people who want to be being engineers. kind and human readable to other humans. <laughs> uh, I mean they're going to the they're going to Flatiron so they probably don't they don't have that problem already. Okay, got it. It's so true. I mean one of the th- I think one of the things we're going to talk about or focus on today is how to get your first dev job, right? And it's a real competitive advantage, not just in software engineering or technical skill, but really in any job to be kind and human readable, to be generous and empathetic. And I wouldn't say that students come in necessarily needing to learn those things, but you definitely need to learn how to demonstrate them to an employer. Yep. I, I just have to tell a story, which is I woke up this morning and checked Reddit, as I always do. And the top post in our programming was Human Readable Magazine, issue number one is out. <laughs> Check it out and let me know what you think. Looking for feedback. Okay, so what's Human Readable Magazine? Human Readable Magazine seems to be a series of essays that look at fairly complex, you know, like programming topics, but are always starting with a high level explanation that, you know, are giving people some kind of hook if they aren't necessarily a programmer. So I mean, like a little editorial tone, a little a, yeah, a little pleasure. Beautiful illustrations exploring the power of union types and Scala. And then it says type systems are a powerful tool for simplifying blah, 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 blah. Right? Like they're not uh, just going to dive it's in. It's just catnip. It's they're wonderful. giving you a little catnip. And the comments, the feedback was so brutal and, you know, like pitch perfect. This is what Wait, give me an developers struggle. So I put out my nice magazine. I put out my nice magazine. Literary programming on the. I internet. put out a literary magazine with beautiful illustrations. The I'm first comment for this. is: I love, I love stuff like. You this. need to optimize how your images are displayed. <laughs> GT Metrics reports the total page size is 45.7 megabytes. It's like I'm not going to read your magazine because it took two seconds to load instead of 0.5 seconds. 47 megs is a little excessive <laughs> for, a, for a initial page load uh-huh. media experience. Uh, but Sarah, what was the one you liked? That was really the best one. I really love the one that was like, it was the second content. It was like this is co- this content is very interesting to me, but I'm not going to create an account. <laughs> 
Like, that's the entire post. It was hilarious to me because, like, why are you sharing that? You know, like, it's nice. That's nice for you. Maybe tell your mom. But yeah. not needed. <laughs> you can't listen. You have to actually. Here's what's tricky with this world, right? Like if you look at that, this thing looks like it's a disaster. But I bet their numbers will be pretty good. And they'll yeah. get so much traffic from that Reddit post. And they'll learn. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I wonder, Rebecca, do you see this in students? You know, I, I know I've observed talking to both new grads and boot camp students that, you know, they they want to dip their first, you know, toe in the water or the programming world, but then they see something like this and it can be scary. Have you seen this as well of, you know, like I don't want to talk about a programming thing publicly because people might shut me down. Yeah. I wonder if there's a Q and a site where sometimes it's really challenging <laughs> to ask your first question. Yes. That, that is a real thing. Um, one of the, one of the requirements of graduating Flatiron School is writing several blog posts about programming or your programming journey, your journey into learning technology. Always, students are very freaked out about that because, of course, it's scary. You're reading these comments. People's first reaction is negative. I don't want to engage with that. One of the things, uh, you know, I'll be very on brand here and, and suggest that you put out positive contributions to the community, you on the balance will get positive contributions back, particularly if you're part of a community that's supportive, which is a lot of what we try to build at Flatiron. And so you're writing that blog post, you're sharing it with your teachers and your peers. And the feedback you're generally getting is, this was so helpful to me because I didn't understand this concept entirely until I read your blog post. And that kind of thing creates a flywheel where people are more excited to contribute to the community. Yeah. And then writing is not so scary. Okay, wait. We should do an interview if we're talking about developers getting jobs. We should interview Ben. You, yeah, you've been, you've been doing this big talk about yeah. all your mis- Oh, you've been doing this. Oh, okay. This is great. Rebecca, we've been going through free code camp internally. And that has turned into a great series on our blog called Ben Popper, the worst coder in the world. Great time. All right. So let's interview this guy. Sarah, how often do you interview? I interview a lot. I interview fairly often. Great. So it's you and me in the room. And yeah. I think Rebecca's the coach. Yeah. Who can interrupt us? You and got I, it. I, okay. All right. So, hey Ben, good, good to meet you here. Um, we looked at your resume. It's a little light, I got to be honest. Mm-hmm. But, Thank but you. yeah, it's, it's you seem like a, you seem like you have a lot to 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 commit. And your cover letter was very strong. I'm glad to be applying for this position of. Um, mm, what what are we going to have Ben do here, Sarah? What's the job? It's a junior engineer position. So yeah, junior engineer. Yeah, no, he's gonna build. Uh, he's gonna build websites. Like we still need to, you know, it's he's it's some CMS stuff. Like Got I think it. that's yeah, yeah. yeah build yeah. websites. All right, so Ben, we have a lot of websites that we build here at the company. Absolutely, um, Sarah. How many websites would you say it is? Um, at least uh, four. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Okay, so you're gonna have these four websites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you talk through your process of how you manage and improve? websites built on content management platforms and sort of what you do and and how you work? Okay, pause. (laughs) Hey, Ben, it's your coach, Rebecca. What do you think Paul's actually trying to figure out? Well, he's asking me if I have a process. So that's like how I think about things. Okay. But also... You know, I'm if I have experience and I've done it before, I can relate those experiences. And then my process, what I learned, where I went wrong, what I got right. And then, you know, oh, now I do it this way because I know I can avoid X, Y, and Z. Or it's optimal. You know, I optimize over well, that. Why do you think he wants to know those things? 
if I was actually in this position, I probably would have studied a few coding languages and probably would know the right technologies to talk about. But that's a little bit different from saying, here's something I built, how it went, what went wrong, why we changed it. Or like, here's how we built it two years ago, but now we want to build it this way because we have these new options, right? We have these new frameworks that are better. Okay, so it sounds like this is a compound question where Paul's actually trying to figure out two separate things. Uh One, do you have the skills to do the job? Right. And two, do you have kind of the meta awareness to articulate how you might do the job in an environment you've not encountered? The and answer, I would categorize the that answer broadly to the first as question you asked is no. Okay. And the answer to the <laughs> second question is yes. I mean, so I was looking for exactly those two things, and um, it is, it's real. No, I want to know, notice, no programming language. I didn't mention a CMS. Like, that matters less in, in this stage, in that stage. Like, I want to just know, I've done, I've, I've looked at and understand these things, right. and I have a sense of how you might get them done. And then in the back of my head, I'm measuring for attitude and for if a person seems like they have focus and discipline. So when when Rebecca asked you questions and you responded with engineering word salad, then I knew. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, this may not be the right fit, right. Um, which is totally fair. Wait, say more about that. You asked him, um, what do you think Paul's trying to get out? And you went like, you kind of repeated back a lot of things that you've heard in this context because you're trying to figure it out live, yeah. right? And we've put you brutally on the spot. You are applying for a job that, like, it's it's terrible yeah. what we're doing to you right now. But that is actually a true tell because what I wanted to, here's what I wanted to hear from you. Yeah. I wanted you to hear, I'll be honest, I haven't done a lot of uh, CMS stuff. I did set up WordPress for a personal blog once and then I, I messed around with the React native, with the React front end and it was cool. And I built like a little personal site, but I never even released it. But I will say like, that process was really interesting to me. I got to learn a lot of PHP. I figured out some stuff about JavaScript. And there's a lot that I want to learn. And I'm ready to to figure that out. Uh, to me, and then we would start to go into like timeline. Like, you know, right. how long does it take you to do things? And that, I would then understand, I would be treating you as like a, a junior person who is going to need a lot of mentorship. And that would be fine, right? I just need to get what the parameters right. are and see like, can I get this person to a successful place in about 90 days? Right. Well, funny story. Yeah, I think I over-indexed on word salad and uh, being an excellent interviewer. And I once landed a job (laughs) as the web developer at the Brennan Center for Justice. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, What does that Justice Center do? They do a lot of stuff about like prison reform and recidivism, uh, about like... um, you know, uh, making sure that uh, people who are fighting, you know, for example, evictions have proper, you know, they, they, they do Known like for their of, technology, eh? Yeah. All right. The next question, Rebecca, feel free to pause for the coaching or not. Sure thing. So, okay, this is one of my favorite questions. Okay. Ben, tell me about a hard problem that you faced at work, what you did to solve it, how you went about figuring it out, and what you learned from it. Okay. I had an idea earlier this year for a version of this website I work for, Stack Overflow, Hmm. where you would take it offline uh, so that you could give it to people who don't have internet access. For example, like people who are incarcerated and trying to learn how to program and their computer labs are offline. So that seemed really challenging. I asked a few engineers at my job and they were like, well, you could do this, you could do that, but it'd be pretty tough and require a lot of resources. And then somebody recommended to me that I check out a nonprofit which turns out already does this and has open sourced the code. 
and they are simply looking for better distribution and media coverage, which I am very good at. And so the engineering problem was probably above my pay grade and the resourcing was a problem, but we were able to sort of uh, find somebody within the larger software community who is eager to partner with us. And uh, now we have a good solution for it. Is that a good, was that a good answer? That's great. What did you learn? That in today's world, there's often somebody who has worked on a similar problem and there is often, there's just so much open source stuff out there and so much opportunity for collaboration. And the reason that they had open sourced it and were doing it with us was because we give away the data. So like, there's like that exchange I think happens a lot. All right, pause. What was Sarah trying to figure out with that question? You know, are you a, a problem solver who can overcome adversity, maybe? Great. So are you going to generally contribute good things to this team? We need problem solvers. We need people who can learn from challenges. Right. Do you have that capability? And what did you want to convey with the answer? That despite having uh, extremely limited coding experience and a poor track record of class attendance, I uh, can uh, <laughs> push projects forward. You know, more like, uh, yeah, like... Within the role of like a PM, I think I have some abilities as opposed to a junior developer. No, no, I mean, abilities. that's what I heard. I'm like, well, I was actually pretty good product management. You <laughs> yeah. skip the By skipping the engineering step, you saved tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, exactly. So all of that exchange that you and Paul just had, mm -hmm. in my opinion, should have been at the very top of the answer. Mm. So another thing that's really important in job searching and interviewing is you need to tell me the story that I should hear. Starting with the details is a little confusing for the listener. Mm. You want to start with the conclusion. Mm. So a really effective way to answer that question might have been, I encountered this challenge that was above my pay grade as an engineer, but used my PMing skills and external relationships and problem-solving capabilities to get us to a different solution than the original one that I had thought of. And it was actually better. Let me tell you the details. That way, as a listener, I know what I should be listening for as opposed to trying to pick out the conclusions you want me to be drawing from the story. Yes. I should have gone with the inverted pyramid as the journalist There you go. Say. <laughs> Rebecca, next time if I'm ever job hunting, I'm going to go to Flatiron <laughs> School first so I can get this coaching from me. Um, coaching is important. I mean, I, I don't have professional training as a coach. I have had the best front row seat to what good coaching looks like by having had the privilege of working with our amazing team of career coaches over the years. Man, it is powerful. I think, you know, the thing, listening to you, the thing I'm hearing is just if you can understand and empathize with the person across the table from you, you're not delivering a set of bullet points about your skills. Uh, you're not a living resume. Instead, what you're trying to do is state a case that you would be great if you came to the other side of the table and sat with them and that you understand what they want and what they need to accomplish. And that is absolutely killer. If somebody says that, and the, the hardest part about it is it really only, not really only, but it often comes with experience. And so that's why experience is such a powerful filter because they'll say, oh, I used to work on things like this all the time and here's what we did. And you go like, okay, well, now I don't have to worry about that problem. And that's, that's really the power of a coach, right? A coach is someone you go back to after that interview. You tell them what happened. You state the impact or the outcome. And that person can help you look from a perspective outside yourself 
at what you might have done differently or what the person across the table might have actually wanted. Mm -hmm. Because that's true. You're not going to get that feedback from an employer and shouldn't expect it. Yeah, and I think Rebecca's underselling herself, I've observed, because now there's a whole process around hiring boot camp grads that lots of people do, I think. Um, even at Stack here, we have one student graduate from Flatiron. She's amazing. We've hired a, a few other boot camp graduates. And now, you know, the junior to senior mentorship process is a little more established than it used to be, you know, seven years ago, where you end up with a class of, you know, 20 graduates. And they're all very strong, and you can spend a period of time finding them in their ideal roles. Boot camps, I think, uniquely, uh, this is one thing I think is so strong about them, is are judged on their placement rates, right? Like when I go to college, when I go to a traditional university, I have no idea the percentage of people that have graduated the school uh, and have gotten a role that, you know, will pay back their school. But boot camps do. And I think Flatiron, I think Flatiron was one of the first one that, you know, started publishing these statistics. But so I've seen Rebecca work really closely with these students. And then you have people coming back to you now five years later being like, thank you, this is amazing. <laughs> the best thing about having been in New York for seven years is that our grads are now managers coming back mm. and regularly hiring other grads. And there's just nothing better than watching <laughs> oh, that fantastic. happen. Yeah. That's great. How much is something like a, like, what are the information resources that new engineers on? Like, I'm assuming Stack is part of their life. Like, what, what else do they go for? For sure. Stack and Google are programmer, data scientist That's, tools. Yeah, engineer 2020. <laughs> um, and we see a lot of students go through the journey of I learning to program is having the library in my head mm -hmm. to learning to program is learning to effectively ask the internet the real question that I'm trying to answer. Mm -hmm. um, and learning to use those tools well, I think the more, you know, p part of being in the community, part of having a group of folks around you who've gone through the same journey is normalizing that kind of experience and many other experiences that come with learning anything hard. Um, Do people but, still read manuals? Do they still get like, like physical manuals? Yeah, you know, like big paper O'Reilly books. I don't think it happens anymore. I don't, I don't know. It's yeah, a good question. So. Yeah. We have a lot of programming books in my house. We don't no, open I, them very often. I, mean, I do too. We have, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, people read, you know, zero to one or that dev book that's like my first year as a coder. They read the like, you know, here's how here's how I get through things and here's how I advance in my career. Not the like, here's how to code. Here's like some snippets that stuff, right? But that's yeah. the stuff, right? The syntax is not the hardest part. Right. All right, let's play some games here. I'm going to read you guys some interesting questions from the network. You can tell me what you think and then maybe we could play with the tag. I don't know. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's live our lives. What happens when a town is under quarantine and my visa expires? <laughs> in the town? Yes. You can't leave because oh. you're under quarantine, but you can't stay because your visa has expired. Is this a Ruby question? It's from our, our, our travel stack exchange. It's from Wuhan Stack Overflow? <laughs> oh, no. I love that one. That is a good one. I don't have an answer. I like to be, as a, as a loud man, I like to have answers for everything, but I have no clue. I think it depends on what town and what country you're in. And... Uh, like who has security? The CDC, right? Or Homeland Security? Right. Asking for a friend. What's the best way to neutralize a sulfuric acid spill? <laughs> uh, from our chemistry stack exchange. I, these are like technical <laughs> questions. I don't know the answer to. I, um, <laughs> what? I'd use baking soda. What, what is the oh, answer? Actually, this is multiple choice. Okay. Neutralize the acid with vinegar. 
sprinkle solid NaOH on the spill, neutralize the acid with NaHCO3, neutralize the acid with Epsom salt, MgSO4. Take a shower. <laughs> you know, I have a... I the remember- acid is eating into the desk and will leak down to the classroom below, Sarah. You don't have a choice. You have to neutralize it. When I was 15 in chemistry, we were doing an experiment with hydrochloric acid, and I, I couldn't make it come out of the little container. Yeah. So I looked into it, and I was just like, why won't this thing shoot hydrochloric acid? And I squeezed it really hard and just shot it all over my face. Oh, no. Oh, my oh, God. God. Well, actually, it doesn't, it doesn't melt your skin, but it <laughs> does melt your awesome... It melts your awesome jacket. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, my, my clothes... Yeah, part of my clothes melted, but the my skin was fine. You had that cool leather the jacket goggles? with the acid hole no. in the back. No goggles. No, I forgot the goggles, and it was a. I, there was some current concern from. Do not state the name of your school. No, I mean it was a public school in Pennsylvania. No, they don't. They don't remember me. But the um, I remember going home with my melted jacket and feeling kind of bad about life. And uh, I went to the nurse, and she's like, "Yeah, you're you're not dead." Yeah. Uh, so the answer is vinegar will not help you, but sodium, solid God, sodium hydroxide, which is lye, will work. So oh. you, you pour the lye on top of the sulfuric acid and you will neutralize it and things in the room will get very hot. Okay. Just so you know. Good. I mean, that's, you know, it's going to smell really bad. Yeah. I also like the vinegar will not help you. Like vinegar is standing there like, <laughs> you deserve it. Also, it's amazing because now I see in the related, there's like seven other questions about what to do when you spill acid. So this is a common question on the chemistry stack exchange. Why is this hello world JavaScript code fragment recognized as an acceptable programming instruction? Read it. Oh, I love this one. Uh, this is the one where it has like two string backwards, right? Okay, Sarah, you yeah, want to take it yeah, away? That's yeah, that's really interesting. Yep. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I remember because I saw this and I was like, how is there a hello world JavaScript question that hasn't been answered on Stack Overflow? Okay, so uh, here it is. So someone's coworker showed them a fragment of code and it was like, hello world. Um, sorry, it was uh, two string dot bind hello world in JavaScript, but it's all backwards and it's surrounded by quotes and it has a leaving period. And if you put it in the developer console and execute it, you'll see a regular hello world message. It looks like nonsense. And the question is, why does this work? And the answer um, is the actual code is, it's the leading period. Um, The leading period uh, is interpreted as ellipses and it interprets it as a right to left reading language which is fascinating. Oh, because the character encoding actually determines the direction of display. Yes. And JavaScript is like, yeah, whatever. I just got a bunch of bytes. Oh, you're going that direction? No big deal. I'll yeah. display it in that direction. Uh, the triple period ellipses yeah. is the string literal, which is the right-to-left override in Unicode for writing right-to-left languages like Arabic or Hebrew. Yeah, it assumes there's something before the leading period. Yeah. Don't you want to go to code school and be part of this amazing <laughs> world? <laughs> it's... Listening to you read the code, I was and the I was like, oh no, wow, <laughs> this is a hard in, this is a hard field for people. Yes, <laughs> that's not fair. Eighty percent of programming guides are like the first page is this is the color red and this is a cat, and then the rest of it looks like somebody just threw a Scrabble board on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm gonna get this. This is easy. I got this. And yeah. then they're just like, actually, yeah. That's what I hear a um, lot from new coders too. I think one of the challenges in online specific learning is the question is like, okay, so you learn, you know, here's a variable, here's how you uh, create a variable and here's what an integer is. And and the question I hear most often is like, yeah, I totally get it. 
I get it, but why am I using it? Yeah, I, I think I would grasp. Yeah, I would grasp arrays, I think, a lot easier if it started with, well, this was one of the earliest things in computer science. You know, it's a very basic sort of almost mathematical thing. And here's how it's built on. OK, now we're going to teach you how to knock out the first part or move the last one in an array to the front. You might use this if you were doing X, Y and Z, but they don't do any of that. Like uh, it's very it's just t in total isolation. And so that, I think, also makes it hard to like memorize and retain because you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this. If you read a programming book from the 70s, like the C programming language, it would make a lot more sense because it's literally like this is a system for controlling like industrial refrigeration systems. And yeah. a, relatively, a relatively smart person is going to have to come along and learn how to orchestrate all of these things. And so the abstraction, you're way, way further down on the abstraction ladder. Yeah. But the expectation is that as a, a bright individual, you will just they'll be able to give you enough information that you can you can get going. And they assume that you've never seen a computer before. Right. And they actually had to assume that. So it sometimes if you get stuck that way, it's really good. Well, what you're saying is really the same thing that Ben was saying, which is the context is so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Particularly when you're first learning something, particularly in technology where one line of code might be laden with tons and tons of context, right? Abstractions above. Mm -hmm other stuff below and it's just hard to move forward if you don't have the context well, yeah i mean they certainly could have added the context with some more writing but i think one of the things that you know for something like free code camp is when you're doing the html and css you can show the context in the browser right and so it's easier to set that up whereas if you're doing java and arrays like you'd need some kind of ide right in order to let people play around with that and so that's another level of like commitment from the student or the teacher to like give you that sandbox to play around in. I also think people understand context and it clicks mm -hmm. in different mm -hmm. ways. Yeah. So you might need to do, one thing we do at Flatiron School is programmer of the day with some of that historical context yeah. that you mentioned. Here's who invented HTML. Here's who invented file systems. Um, here's how it got invented and where it originally sat. Some For some people that might help a concept click, but for others they might need to go through you know, debugging yeah. something to understand the context. So Rebecca, if people want to find out more about Flatiron, if they want to get involved, where should they go? And I guess what are the different ways to get involved? Obviously, you could be a student, you could be a teacher, maybe you could be a contributor. I don't know. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be involved with Flatiron. You can go to flatironschool.com, mm -hmm. check out our campuses, our online programs, the programs that we teach, the ways you can learn. We have a giant community of students around the world on our campuses and online, teachers, also around the world on our campuses and distributed um, who work with all those students. Where in the world is are you distributed? We have campuses in the U.S. and the U.K., major U.S. cities like New York, D.C., Chicago, San Francisco, Houston, and London. And we have um, teachers in all of those cities, as well as students and teachers in places like Des Moines and... Fargo, North Dakota, and Poland. Cool. And so, yeah, is it a is it a for-profit institution? Or if people wanted to donate or get involved, is that something they do? Or no, it's like a for-profit school? Yep, we're a for-profit company. Mm -hmm. We are part of WeWork. And gotcha. so if you go to a Flatiron school in any city but our oldest campus in New York, you'll actually be going to a WeWork and get the opportunity to meet, attend events alongside, 
other companies, tech companies, cool folks that are working out of those spaces. And our online students actually get the chance to work out of WeWork as part of their Flatiron School enrollment. Gotcha. So it's pretty cool. Students end up meeting up in cities, even if they're working online or we don't have a campus there and working together or forming relationships with each other. Yeah, that's a nice, it's like you go to school at a WeWork and then you go to a WeWork and you start your startup and next thing you know, you're exactly. the next WeWork. Yeah. Or you meet your first client yeah. or you get advice from someone about cool. how to interview. It's a pretty cool ecosystem. Um, okay, here's the real sales pitch. Let's see. Why would I choose Flatiron over uh, any of the other sort of like boot camps that are available? You know, increasingly they're proliferating. Obviously, learning how to code and becoming part of this new economy is really exciting to a lot of people. What makes Flatiron special or different? You got to find the school that's right for you. So if Flatiron School is right for you, that's awesome. And Mm -hmm. we're very excited to have you join. There are three things, I think, that make us unique. One is community. In all of our programs, including our online programs, we have built-in experiences, opportunities, requirements for you to interact live with teachers, with other students. Learning a new skill is extraordinarily hard. And then entering the workforce is also going to require you to interact with other humans. Mm. And so learning in an environment where you don't do that and you don't experience other people's opinions and approaches, we think that that misses something, right? The best experiences you had in college are not reading the syllabus of your course. Mm. They're talking to your teachers and talking to other students. Gotcha. So we build community in really intentional ways. The second one is outcomes. We live and die by our job placement number, as Sarah alluded to earlier. That is why students come to Flatiron School is to change their life. They're getting a new job. So we we issue a report. We actually hand our data to an auditor mm. every year who vets what we say we did in right. job placement statistics. Our most recent one is 93% of job seekers get a job, sign an offer letter. Um, Within the first? With it, well, during the time that they're working with us, so cool. a, a year or less, more than half are employed within 60 days. Amazing. Um, so outcomes and transparency are the other two. And on the outcome side, man, do we invest in students getting a job. It's a separate set of skills as we kind of just went through Yes, from learning to program itself. So there's a lot of infrastructure and support for our students after they graduate, which is a pretty special thing. Okay, very cool. And if people want to find you online, can they find you on Twitter or something like that to engage with you? Is that okay? I'm at R. Rambam. I would love to hear from you on Twitter. Okay. And flatironschool.com is Well, where thank we you so much for coming on. Thanks you for should, having me. You should spell your Twitter handle. R-R-O-M-B-O-M. It's right. a very fun name to say. Rambam. So, Paul, Sarah, I know we talked a few weeks ago about the parking meters that went out in New York. They were set to expire on January 1st, 2020. We were like, come on, what is this nonsense? We should be past this. But then I saw a big tweet thread that uh, went pretty viral. Why 2038? It's coming. And not only is it coming, but the problems are already manifesting. So um, this is a cool Twitter thread. We'll put it in the show notes. But somebody at a top pension fund had a job that went wrong, (laughs) crashed January 19th, 2018, 20 years before, and ended up costing them close to $2 million to fix. So, Oh, so somebody had like put in, it's a pension fund, so it probably has like some 20-year investment analysis thing going. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And so it was all fine because they're like, pl- so 20 times 
60 times 24 times 364, <laughs> 365, you know? Yeah, you just drop that. Yeah, well, and it's not 365 just before people write in and yell at us. Like, you know, I know there are leap years and yeah. leap seconds. Relax. But, like, you know, you, you drop that number in, you're fine. And uh, apparently... Yeah, it's 2020. Like, when will it be 2020? It'll never be 2020. According to the thread, the original engineer who had put this in had died 15 years earlier. So yeah. this code, <laughs> this code's like 30, 40 years old at this no, point. No, this gets back to what you're saying, right? The person who is responsible for updating the certificate has left. Oh, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, they've, <laughs> they, left they've literally... Died. They have left, shuffled left. off left the, the mortal coil. Yeah. There is, like... And so... First of all, that's a bug, right? Like it's a problem. Yeah. You can't just put you can't you can't put like a Jira board with dead people. It doesn't work. <laughs> you can't triage that. Okay. I'm sorry, Paul and Ben. I have to interrupt okay. you with this really morbid thought that just came to me. Okay. What kind of stuff are gonna people gonna blame us for after we die? <laughs> uh, global warming. I'm gonna do a terms of service. <laughs> yeah. I- they're not going to be like, oh, my God, my Android phone doesn't work. They're going to be like, I'm literally underwater. Why didn't Sarah do anything? What if I start having employers start like signing a terms of service, which is like after Sarah is dead, we're not allowed to blame her. for. Yeah, they're going to break that. That's not enforceable. They're going to blame you for the broken code. I mean, yeah, that's, this, in, that's sacred engineering. This is like the ultimate exit interview, right? It's like maybe you left the job, and then when, when they hear you're like in hospice, that's when they come I and mean, show you all the code and demand to know. Isn't death really <laughs> the ultimate exit interview? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, this is also this is inter- engineer culture. Is you take the thing and you look at it and you go, these people are idiots. Yeah. And then about yeah. eighteen months later, you go, eh, they actually had a point. I mean, yeah, this thread is amazing. Yeah. The yeah. program's purpose was to compute certain contribution rates to different kinds of pension funds. It would write a big old CSV file oh. that would do the inputs. Another program, the benefits distributor, was supposed to alert people when contributions weren't enough. In the case of this 2038, the program had no output and it crashed and started putting all contributions to zero. A massive cascade of alert emails to internal pension managers, S1X, which means cascading alerts listen things get bad this is why you have a kind of formal data layer like this is where oracle's really good oracle's not going to have that 2038 problem yeah if you pay for or use a really commonly used data store like oracle or mysql or postgresql and that's where everything goes and the date times are orthodox in it you're not going to get into these pickles FYI, everybody, I got the Necromancer badge this week for answering a question on our SO internals. So feeling pretty good about that. I think we need to unpack that for the audience and maybe myself. So we have an internal version of Stack Overflow for Teams that we use to answer questions. And somebody asked one time, "How's like, what's our blog like? What's the average traffic like? That was answered two or three years ago. And so I went in and I was like, actually, this answer is out of date. Here's the new answer. And it was like, oh, you put in a new valid answer for a question that hasn't been touched in years, you are the necromancer. You used evil spells to summon <laughs> the dead. Yes, exactly. Okay. Good for you. Yeah. yeah Thank you. Thank you. Good. Stack Overflow for Teams, now available to try with no credit card. Uh, free for 30 days, right, Sarah? For 30 days. Free for 30 days, no credit card required. So go give it a try. Collaborate. A lot of free questions. Share your knowledge. Exactly. Okay. Shout out to Sawi Wamin. Cast an object too long in Java. Casts shout out to IoT newbie why Android Studio would show an era like missing constraints in constrained layout. Shout out to Arun Pratap why does X packages are looking for funding mean when running npm install? And shout out to my 
Mikey, Nike, count spaces in a string. Keep answering those questions. Keep so answering those, those questions. Keep earning those right lifeboats. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. I'm Sarah Chips. I'm Sarah J. Chips at Twitter.com. And I'm the Director of Public Q&A here at Stack Overflow. And I'm Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Postlight, a digital product company. And if you are looking for an engineering product management or design job, I would love to hear from you. Um, check us out at at Postlight. And of course, if you have ideas, feel free to send it to pitches at Stack Overflow, and we'll consider including it in our next episode. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.